I called in some favors to some of these shops and had them like FedEx me and UPS me the foods with reheating instructions. Food was absolutely delicious. That didn't surprise me. But the moment of surprise was like opening that box and smelling those smells, seeing the menus and the logos. And uh, it like transported me to a different time and place, like literally like a travel machine with your taste buds. And I remember just feeling like, shit, if I could like bottle up this emotion, right? Forget about the food for a second, but this emotion and share it with people, that would be a really cool thing for the world and a really cool business. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. I've always been a food lover, even tracing back to my childhood. My friends remind me of stories of this like food ring that I started in my neighborhood where my dad was like well-known for his like homemade kebabs and Middle Eastern food, but I loved it, but I'd get sick of it, you know, after having it like three days a week. And then I have one Italian friend whose mom is making homemade meatballs and veal parms. I had another one who had a family account at the local Chinese restaurant. So he's having egg rolls and shrimp fried rice. And uh, I had one friend, uh, Puerto Rican, making empanadas and mofongo. And so we would arrange these kind of like swaps of kebabs for veal parm, kebabs for empanadas. And uh, my friends actually remind me of this recently. So I guess like even like way back in the day, like I was weirdly obsessed with food. But the key moment for me was as a New York guy, I, I actually went to college down in Nashville about 20 years ago. And fell in love with Southern food, had a credit card, was exploring this new world of food that I had never seen before. like Nashville hot chicken and dry rub barbecue, country ham, which is like the saltiest thing on the planet, by the way. It's not regular ham, it's country ham as part of a breakfast with buttermilk biscuits. You're getting me really hungry now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I still salivate to this day, obviously, uh, about these memories. And uh, this was about 10 years back and I was in New York City, but I I couldn't have those authentic things. You can have those things, but it ain't the same. So I was just kind of thinking of like the future of the world and the internet and food. So I called in some favors to some of these shops and had them like FedEx me and UPS me the foods with reheating instructions. Food was absolutely delicious. That didn't surprise me. But the moment of surprise was like opening that box and smelling those smells, seeing the menus and the logos. And uh, it like transported me to a different time and place, like literally like a travel machine with your taste buds. And I remember just feeling like, shit, if I could like bottle up this emotion, right? Forget about the food for a second, but this emotion and share it with people, that would be a really cool thing for the world and a really cool business. And so I had some conversations with a few people. Some of them eventually became my co-founders in the business. And everybody had a different story or two or 10 about foods that they would literally pay anything for if they could have. I remember my brother who went to school in Buffalo, he's like, dude, if we could get anchor bar wings for the Giants game, right? Like that would be unbelievable. 
And this place actually invented buffalo wings. You know what I mean? Philly cheesesteaks from Pat's and Jim's and the authentic places. My now wife and, and co-founder is actually from Venezuela, Vanessa. And um, she would talk about arepas and like authentic <laughs> Venezuelan. So the list goes on and on and on. So it struck me that not only is it emotional, but it's also very personal. And so are, there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of food makers that are doing interesting, creative things on a local level. And to share their craft with people, to bring people comfort with these foods of their dreams, it was the genesis of Gold Belly. And now, like fast forward eight years later, the mission is exactly the same in that yeah. regard. It's really incredible. You know, before you even mentioned this, I, I was thinking, oh, it's it's the food, but it's really that experience. Like you talked about, like your brother eating those wings isn't just delicious, but it's a reminder. It's you're selling an experience in a way, kind of like Starbucks sells an experience. You know, you're buying coffee, but you're really there for the experience. You actually have really good, but it takes you back or it takes you to somewhere you've never been. And it's incredible. Tell us then what was the plan and how did the business, how did you actually just go for it? Yeah. So, you know, as I was thinking about the idea, I was trying to kind of like resist it for a while. And I remember just the feeling of like, this won't go away and my brain and my body won't let this go away. I'm so excited about it. I'm so passionate about it. And I think like for any entrepreneur, you really want to find the area that you're passionate about but that you're, you're also like really good at or have a deep knowledge in. And it just so happens that in food, like most of my adult career, I had my own food-related internet companies. So I, I knew quite a bit about it, but my deepest passion within food is these regional favorites and these local legends and these iconic foods and in telling the stories of the makers that I'm just absolutely obsessed with. And so the convergence of those two really just, I think, blew up my brain to the point that I knew that I had to make the jump. And um, I think it was in 2012 in kind of just like doing a little bit more research and like getting ready to kind of go all in on it. I had shared the idea with a few friends at the time and um, three of them actually became co-founders in the business. Vanessa, uh, who I mentioned, who's our chief product officer, we're also married and have a three-year-old at this point. Trevor, our CTO, and Joel, our VP of engineering. So um, all of them with their own food stories, their own passions for building technology to empower and open up a new economy for restaurants and chefs around the country. And so, uh, you know, one thing led to the next, had a couple of conversations with chefs and restaurants I knew. A lot of them, frankly, like told me to fuck off. <laughs> I don't know if I can curse. Yeah, you can. And, and they always they always tell you that at the beginning and, and then they come yeah. knocking on your door when it works. And some of them are, by the way, and some of them, we laugh about it together now and they're our best partners. But a few of them really took the shot and they're like, kid, this is kind of a crazy idea, but we'll try. So one thing led to the next and we actually got accepted into the Y Combinator Technology Accelerator out in Silicon Valley. And so um, we, we joined the program, actually moved out there for four years to get the business off the ground. And um, here we are just year after year, building it brick by brick, focusing on every aspect of our product, every aspect of our curation and uh, growing the customer base, of course. Was it hard for you? What were you doing at the time? And was it hard for you to make the jump or were you all gung-ho and like, this is in my blood? Yeah. You know, in hindsight, it, it, 
it was in my blood. So before this, I was running a company called delivery.com, which was one of the big players at the time in the local delivery space. And I had started a company at the age of 25 called eats.com and eats magazine in New York. So I, I have been in the industry for a bit. So for me, like making this jump wasn't the craziest thing, but I think like for my co-founders, it was different, their first venture and first entry into the world. So it was, it was interesting where I could share some of my experiences and, and coachings towards that with them. But uh, as you know, every go around there's different challenges and there's new things that you learn that you don't expect, but there is pattern recognition and you start like using a sports analogy, you can read the defenses a little faster and a little quicker once you have a little bit of experience. So I think that definitely has been advantageous to us. And, and for the Y comp. So, so tell us like, how did that work? How did you get accepted? And, you know, it sounds like that was really something that helped you launch this business being part of that. Yeah, it definitely helped out a lot. I think, especially when you have a crazy idea, it's not easy to get investors. And so I had many conversations with like the New York VC community. And I mean, literally 0 for 50. <laughs> so about, that's, average listen, not, that's about yeah. right. From every entrepreneur I talk to with the most genius ideas, it's like number 51, they finally might do it. It's actually even like 200, like so many people you just get shot down. But in any case, it sounds like you were 0 for 50. And then what happened? Yeah. I mean, so we were going to go on this path regardless of investors or not. I actually funded the business a little bit. A couple of uh, very close friends, my friend Dale Wagner, Gerard Jeffrey, it, it kind of invested from the very beginning. So it just becomes easier to grow faster once you raise investment. But we were, we were all in regardless. But it was the big storm in New York City in 2012, I think, was it Sandy? I don't know. Yeah, Sandy. Uh, yeah. And I remember like we were all displaced and my brother lived in Midtown. So he had a shower. So we were all like kind of working from there. And it was nighttime. We stopped working. And I got, I saw a tweet about the Y Combinator applications, last chance. And so my founders, co-founders didn't even know, but I applied up to YC. We got invited for an interview. So I had to tell them, hey, we have to jump on a plane. <laughs> so we did that. And we got in and in hindsight, that kind of changed the path of a lot of things because what's interesting about Silicon Valley is many of the most successful companies were started with crazy ideas. And I know like one that people talk about a lot these days is like Airbnb, for example, which even like the founders and early investors were like, yeah, we, we didn't think it was a good idea necessarily, but one thing leads to the next. Totally. And so there's a different culture of like try new crazy things and almost like the crazier the idea is the more it's worth a shot because if it if it hits it's not going to be a, a double right. or a triple it's going to be a grand slam you like the sports analogies uh, i love I my sports analogies here. and for all of you you know joe's wearing this great shirt it actually has got a Knicks logo but it says pastrami rye instead of new york Knicks. and i love that obviously being a Knicks fan but i do like the sports analogies and i love the idea like you're talking about because a lot of our entrepreneurs listening, it's really interesting because in the VC world, it's like they're not shooting for doubles, right? They're they're shooting for grand slams. So it, like you said, it makes sense because if they hit one grand slam out of 10, that makes them successful, right? So the crazier the idea, the bigger thing it is. And it sounds like they saw that in Goldbelly. And was that the reason they kind of jumped on board? 
Yeah, I mean, you'd have to ask them to hear exactly <laughs> like if they were like, hey, we think this is absolutely crazy, but like it seems fun or if they could see the potential of it. But I, I think, yeah, I mean, that that must be what they thought. Like, what, so why Combinator invested? We have some great advisors there that really kind of help get us focused. But then like one of the things about Y Combinator that's tremendous is you have a few months to kind of craft your pitch and your narrative and really get focused. But then there is like, you get exposed to the entire VC and investor community in a day called Demo Day. And so we presented at Demo Day and we had a few interested parties at that point. And uh, interestingly enough, Intel has a VC arm called Intel Capital, and they actually led our seed round about six months later. And this was in 2013. And you know, a lot of people are like, Intel, why Intel? But I think Christine Heron and Arvind Sodani, who at the time was the managing director, they saw the power of marketplaces and platforms. And certainly with us, logistics plays a key role in perishable food. So um, yeah, they, they, they felt like that was kind of an interesting area with high potential. And if you look at the space of gourmet food, like before we came around, there's a few like mega players in the space, but the world wasn't open to mom and pop restaurants and shops locally. It was companies like Omaha Steaks, which are massive, massive businesses, Harry and David, theirs. And so I think once people realized that there was already a market, but it was a different business model, we're just a modern internet platform or marketplace for that scene. Yeah. You could kind of visualize, you know, knowing about Omaha Steaks and think they've been around forever and Harry and David's, that would make me as an investor be like, you know what, this, this really can work. And I definitely think you were way ahead of your time. But my question is you're sourcing from all of these incredible places, a lot of mom and pop places. How difficult are the logistics and like you said, it's perishable foods of taking orders, making sure they're being sent out. How difficult is that for the business? Oh, it's really hard. And um, even to this day, we're still learning new things. But, you know, we mostly have it down to a science now, eight years in. But I think that's, you know, that's what makes the business so strong, where it's like it is so hard and so painful that developing that expertise and that knowledge and getting those bumps along the way creates something for us where we have a special area of knowledge that is not easy to obtain. That that may be why nobody thought of it or, or did it before. But now we have that knowledge and we have it really down to a science in a lot of ways. But the food is perishable, right? And it's coming from a thousand locations around the country to and it's going to millions of locations across the country. So it's a day-to-day challenge for us, but managing the shipping and logistics of perishable food is a big part of what we do. More from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsors. Most of our guests on HSH would agree that working at a startup is unimaginably hard, but having one spot to organize everything and work as a team makes it much easier. All your notes, documents, projects, processes, tasks, Don't you wish there was a way to pull them all together? Notion is an all-in-one team collaboration tool that combines note-taking, document sharing, wikis, project management, and much more into one space that's simple, powerful, and beautifully designed. For startups, Notion can provide a full-on operating system for running every aspect of your company, keeping everyone aligned as you grow fast and take on more. Find out how Notion may be the missing piece your startup needs to grow. Get more done and delight your team in the process. Interested? Want to find out more? 
Notion is running a special offer just for startups. Get up to $1,000 off Notion's team plan by going to notion.com slash startups. To give you a sense, that's almost a year of free Notion for a team of 10. Again, that's notion.com slash startups to receive up to $1,000 in free credit to use Notion with your team. That's up to $1,000 value when you go to notion.com slash startups. And our next sponsor. All founders know the importance of compliance when scaling a business. After founding three different businesses, I have to admit compliance is still a complex issue that takes way more time than I'd like. However, I found a solution to the dilemma of the complex compliance process, Leica. Leica makes the compliance process simple. Their platform combines automation with built-in expertise to help companies get certified, close deals, and approach compliance the right way. And Leica goes beyond integrations. Their platform connects you to your everyday applications and applies actual human expertise to a robust software that powers your compliance. Leica even connects to your applications and instantly creates tailored policies based on your business. And it's the only compliance platform that offers a true integrated audit solution. So no more messy spreadsheets and miscellaneous audit documents. Their team of experts manage your audit from beginning to end with full progress tracking through the app. So how success happens, listeners, you can get 20% off when you join. Visit heyleica.com slash HSH to get this exclusive deal. That's H-E-Y-L-A-I-K-A dot com slash HSH, all lowercase, to request a demo and get 20% off when you sign up for Leica. And we're back. Is there ever a time early on you were just like, I don't know if this this is going to work. So I think with any startup, there are those times. There are those moments. The question is, if those moments start like dominating or overwhelming the percentage of overall moments there are in the day, that's a real problem. But I think as long as the barometer or at the end of the day, 95% of the days, you're like, no, we're on to, we're going to keep, that's a good thing. But yeah, I mean, when you get shit on by... 50 investors tell you how stupid your idea is. Like you get pissed, but you also kind of inflect and be like, sometimes is my idea really stupid? And like, am I wasting my time? But I think then you come away and you have all these data points and knowledge and instinct, right? Like instinct is critical. It's not just about the data. It's if you have an instinct that says, no, this is a big idea. And at a minimum, this is a big niche idea where there are a lot of people like me that would love this product. I think that's the kind of stuff that forces you to kind of keep going, even in the hard times. But you know this, there's lots of hard times. And when they're strung together, like one day after the other, after the other, those are the moments where it's like, shit, what are we doing? And you need to fight past that because on the flip side, there are days where it's like, oh my God, we're going to take over the world. This is unbelievable. People love what we're doing and they really care And so uh, it's, you know, you don't want those highs to get too high. You don't want those lows to get too low. And by the way, every first time entrepreneur, the highs get too high, the lows get too low. Even second and third time entrepreneurs. I I think, 
Yeah, I, I can't agree with you more. I mean, it's it's really amazing. And myself being on a third business, which is we created a business in the pandemic called Amaze Media Labs that's creating podcasts and it's doing incredibly well. And But I still have those fears, those doubts. I, I just think it's it's inherent in my in the entrepreneur's personality in certain ways. And like you talked about, it's such a roller coaster, right? Just of like, and I'm still doing that on 25 years later on a third business, right? And I sympathize, but I also just for the listeners giving that great advice that like we're all going through this as entrepreneurs. And, and it no matter how well sometimes your business is even doing, you're always kind of questioning it. Absolutely. Yeah. And in some ways you have to accept that that is part of the journey of being an entrepreneur. It's so true. You know, just if you're able to accept that and understand that, that's why I think it's very difficult for a lot of people to walk away, you know, like sounds like some of your partners too, who are most likely used to like that corporate job, the safety. It's a really up and down lifestyle, but you know, the the highs are so incredible when you build something, especially what you've done, where it's like the experiences, you must get tons of like people saying like, oh my God, I got, you know, Carnegie Deli or whatever it might've been when they, you know, do you get a lot of uh, feedback? And then I'm sure feedback from people who are like, can you include us in your offering? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's the fuel to our fire. As a company, our mission is to bring people comfort through food, whatever they dream of, wherever they are, make food dreams come true. And so for us, when we hear those messages and, and yes, we hear them every day, you can see on social media many times a day, like just people that are, are sharing emotional stories. And by the way, it's every range of emotional story. It's, oh, this is a food I miss. It's, oh, this is the epicenter of celebration. But it's also bittersweet and sad stories where it's like people's last wish. And so bringing people joy and comfort in those times is what we stand for as a company. And, um, you know, I think on the other side of the marketplace, right, because we're a two-sided marketplace, the other aspect of our mission is to empower and inspire mom and pop shops, chefs, restaurants all across the country, and to create a new economy and business line for them outside of the four walls of their restaurant. And, um, you know, you, got, you have to remember for restaurants and local shops like that, outside of a three or five mile delivery radius, before us, there was no business to be had. And so now for all of a sudden... There's hundreds of thousands of restaurants in this country that are mom and pop shops for them to now have a place that they can monetize their food experiences by shipping it outside of their area to people who love their product the most. That's pretty meaningful. And you may have heard some of the stories from our food makers just in the media about like how we've kept many alive through the pandemic and how significant the revenue stream is for them, not just then, but going forward. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the meaning of our work. Yeah, I wanted to ask you because restaurants have been hit. I can't imagine any any businesses harder during the past two years. And it sounds like you were able to really help a lot of these folks through the pandemic. What was business like for you these past two years? Well, you know, as a startup that's doing well, it always feels like business is great. But certainly in the last two years, things went to a different level for us. And by the way, we didn't know what to expect in March of last year when everybody was sent home from the office. We had no idea what to expect. And what turned out to happen is, as by the way, I think happens in, in crises 
in general. When there's a crisis, people try new things because the average day-to-day is no longer there. And so for us, I think there were many people that had heard of what we do, but maybe thought it was a crazy idea that all of a sudden tried it and fell in love with the product. And then for restaurants and chefs, David Chang like talks about this, how the ego for a chef has to get thrown out the window and you have to try new things. And, you know, obviously there were many chefs and restaurants that were like, oh, I, I could never do this. I would never do this. Who were knocking on our door and texting me like, hey, let's give it a shot. Let's give it a shot. And then once they see how much we care about their product and how much customers love the possibility of having that restaurant experience in their home, even though it might be thousands of miles away, that's not something you go back off of. That's something you fall more in love with, whether you're a customer or a restaurant. And so, um, yeah, things, things have changed for us where our, our customer count is, has really accelerated dramatically. Our merchant partner count has doubled in the last like year and a half or so. So I, I think it, looking back, this enabled new people to try new things, which ended up giving us an opportunity to expand the power of what we do in the reach. Before I let you go, I want to ask you, I have to ask you, so what are some of your favorite, I know you have a lot of merchants, a lot of folks uh, or vendors on the platform, but are there some favorites you have that you really never even experienced prior to starting Gold Belly? So it's funny. This is always like the toughest question for me <laughs> because, you know, the site is literally like hand curated. And um, I mean, now we have more than 10,000 products on the site, wow. about a thousand food makers. But I definitely, right now, I might have a few favorites or things that I'm obsessed with. And that, that changes every month. But before I, I jump in there, I, I want to ask you, Robert, are there certain food types that you love the most that I should know about? Because I can kind of customize for you. Well, you were nice enough and your team was nice enough to actually send me a curated package, which had bagels. It had cream cheese from Kozar's. It had breads in New York City, who is an incredible place. It was just incredible. I love all that type of food, but I'm like you, Italian food. I mean, Mexican, you name anything like barbecue, like you're talking in Nashville earlier on the podcast, like, I mean, savoring, like I'm like you, I love food. It's why I need to work out seven days a week or it would be really bad. But I I would say like from some of the stuff and some of the brands I saw, and I, I even going back five, six years and looking at your, at the site and seeing what you guys had, it was like, it was just all the greatest like restaurants and brands. That's why I was always so amazed and wanted to get you on the podcast just with the business. Cause I was just like, this is genius, but I'm like you, I can't, I can't give one or two, but I, I will yeah. give breads the uh, nod just because I live right near there too. And it's easy for me to go get, but for people who are not in New York, I mean, they're, they do some special yeah. stuff. Well, first of all, I appreciate that. And I think some of the stuff you just talked about are like the classic, like Jewish American yes, food. Jewish deli. And think about that though, outside of New York, LA, Chicago, like you can't get that. So like when you live in those cities, you're like, yeah, I can, I walk down the block. What if you live in Nashville? Like I did yeah. or Idaho or yeah, even yeah. San Francisco. There's no good bagels no. in San Francisco. So we call that crowd foodies in the boonies. And it's people <laughs> that just love this great craftsmanship in whatever the food category is. 
And there's 300 million of those people, by the way. Amazing. That we want to connect with their favorite foods, whatever they may be. And some people might say in New York, there's not great Mexican food or whatever it is because they miss Mission Burritos or California style burritos. They miss Chicago deep dish pizza. So we want to connect all those dots. But I will, uh, you know, to, to more directly answer your question, like some, some favorites of mine right now in the chef meal kit world, we have some of the top chefs literally in the world that are now shipping their signature dishes to people. And that is just blowing my mind in a good way. I think of Zahav in Philadelphia, which is like the most incredible high-end Israeli and Middle Eastern food. And this guy, Mike Salamanov, the chef there, James Beard award winner, Michelin stars. You can literally get his pomegranate lamb, hummus and pitas with 20 different side dishes. David Chang, Momofuku, uh, steakhouse dinners from Luger's and Keen's Steakhouse. And uh, Daniel Baloud shipping like three course French dinners to people's doorstep is, is amazing. I love that concept and that idea. And I love that idea for expansion. I'm sure you helped a lot of these folks, even these huge name chefs all struggle during the past couple of years. But I love that idea as a product and concept as well. Did you ever think you'd be in that business with David Chang and Daniel Baloud, you know, when you when you first uh, and really helping them, I'm sure, when you first started Gold Belly? Yeah, you know, we did. And I wished it was even sooner, to be honest. But, you know, the world has a weird way of working out. At the end of the day, for us, it's about food dreams and connecting the dots to bring people the foods that bring them happiness. And so to some people, it could be a Kozar's Bialy or a Russ and Daughters locks. And, and I'm definitely one of those people. And then sometimes I want Coat Korean Steakhouse like to barbecue with friends. So I think to us, we're not foodies, we're comfort foodies. And it's not about the fanciest, it's about just the thing that makes your soul sing. And it could be the full gamut of something that's two bucks and a regional delicacy or specialty like a biscuit, right? Or a bagel, the comfort breads of America. Vanessa's arepas, by the way, arepas, same kind of thing. To the fanciest three-course meals. And uh, like our mission as a company is to connect all those dots, create all those categories. And yes, I do pinch myself sometimes when I look at the roster of the high-end chefs that over the last like year, year and a half are now not only on the platform, but just love everything that we do. And we've developed friendships and relationships where we even talk about creating new packages and new items. And so uh, those are definitely pinch yourself moments. And uh, one more, by the way, on, on that front, Jose Andres, which you may have seen, we just launched yesterday or two days ago. We had connected actually a few months ago. He wanted to have a call and get to know each other a little bit. And so this guy's out there literally saving the world. It's and he, he wants to chat with me and thank, thank us for everything we've done for the restaurant industry in empowering them and keeping people, keeping restaurants alive and that he knows it, he's heard it, he's seen it, and he appreciates all of our hard work. And I think like when you talk of like, like pinch yourself moments for our team of superhumans who basically worked around the clock during this period, as we scaled up and hired it truly amazing in that regard. Yeah. That, that's gotta be just absolutely the best feeling in the world, especially in these difficult times and especially for these chefs and restaurant owners and just to be able to come through with, for them and to build their business while you build yours is just such a win-win. And Joe, I want to thank you for coming on today, man. It's been a 
pleasure. Um, I can't hang out with you all the time because I'd be about 500 pounds, but uh, you seem like you're staying in shape. So in any I'm case- trying, I'm the same as you. <laughs> if, if, if I'm not getting five days in a week, the scale's <laughs> going the other way. So yeah, I do need, I love just to finish the, the experience element of it. I was thinking the whole time I went to Boston University. I would love a slice of pizza from T. Anthony's. You got to get them uh, on the platform. I mean, it, not only, it's not like it was the best pizza, but it just brings you back to that moment. And that's what I love about Gold Belly. What is that pizza place? One more time. T. Anthony's. It's in Boston on Com Ave. Hopefully it didn't close down during the pandemic. All right. Our team of gravy seals <laughs> on that. it. We have, by the way, Regina Pizza, which I know is like. Uh, I know Regina. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, Mike's Pastry. I'm sure you know the cannolis and so forth. Oh, uh, super iconic so shot. Yeah. We're going to help you out and make those food dreams come true. I love it. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for joining us today. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon. <laughs>